Welcome to Becoming. This is episode 119, Emotional Resilience, with Dr. David T. Morgan. Welcome to Becoming, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tawny Beardall and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. Welcome. We are so thrilled to invite back Dr. David T. Morgan to be coming. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you for having me. So David was our guest back in episode 104, and that was in January, and it was called Strategies for Anxiety Resolution. And this first episode that we did with him was back when we took a break at the end of the year. And if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it, I highly recommend it. I've received so many personal messages about how powerful that episode was. And they loved the way that David took the perspective of anxiety just different than they'd ever heard before. He really incorporates a different view and it was really powerful for so many people. And as many of you know that when we took this break, it was during some crazy life transitions for me. I'd just gotten divorced and I was moving and first time single mom and things were crazy. And David was so very patient uh, when we kept pushing back our start date for the episode. (laughs) I kept saying, oh, just one more week. Hold on. I'm, I'm, let me get a handle on life. Just one more week. And he was awesome. And then that led to a discussion about coping through adversity and emotional resilience. And David supported me through this struggle. And then we both realized, wait a minute, this is a topic that a lot of people could benefit from. So we decided that we needed to do another episode together. Well, and I'll tell you that uh, I was a little worried because you kept pushing the date out. And I thought, okay, they didn't like it, this is no good, and this is just kind of their way of letting me down gently, you know. Oh, no we had a, ser- a server failure, um, <laughs> it's all lost, and we're so busy. We'd love to have you back again. So anyway, this, this just makes me feel better. If this one takes about uh, three months to publish, then I'm going to need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that we really did love it because Tawny loved it so much, she made a follow-up episode to it. So that is, that is evidence enough, but it was, it was really a great topic. <laughs> It was clearly something I needed to have happen so you could come back and help me with this issue. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Anyways, we are just so grateful for your expertise on this. You do such a great job of bringing both the spiritual guidance and the practical guidance all together and mesh it together and just help us with what we can do to help ourselves build these skills and So today we're talking about emotional resilience since that's the topic that you guys were kind of talking about and how to be able to build your resilience through adversity. And so, David, why don't you kind of take us through sort of the first things we need to know about growing emotional resilience so we can be ready for adversity? Sure. Okay, so so to define emotional resilience, um, it's the idea of being able to bounce back from difficulty. And it comes from the kind of the concept of, um, of physical resilience. And, and there's actually a number of different uh, ways they use to describe it. Um, metals are, desi- are um, described as being resilient. Like how far can you bend a metal and, ha- and it's still having it bounce back to its original shape and still being able to hold the load that it did before. And so they've investigated this concept in psychology, just how much 
um, how much adversity, how much stress can a person take in their life and then still get back to the same amount of functioning? Well, then they kind of went one step further than that and they said, well, great, that's great if we can you know, get through something and get back to the same level of functioning. What if we could get through something and actually be better? Mm-hmm. What if we could be stronger as a result? Um, and, and that's kind of the whole point of studying emotional resilience is learning not only to endure adversity, but to become stronger. And, and there's, kind of three, there's kind of three potential outcomes. I talked about two. The first outcome, which is the worst, is going through some sort of adversity and then just getting worse. Um, kind of, you know, breaking to the point where you never get back to that original functioning. Uh, and then the middle ground is getting back to where you were before. And, um, and then obviously the, the best is getting stronger. And one of the reasons that this has been on my mind, it's probably been on everyone's mind in the whole world, is just COVID-19. Because we've been dealing with this for so long. And there's really isn't anyone in the entire world that it hasn't touched. And I've told my wife many times, I said, you know, if because now we're at the time, uh, this is April, end of April 2020, a year ago, it was two weeks to flatten the curve, you know, six weeks to flatten the curve. And and we were just going to have this really brief period of time where we're going to have to shut down for a little bit. And now, you know, I live in Washington State and and we're still uh, kind of partially shut down. Um, And I, I told Kristen, my wife, that, if this thing had only lasted six weeks, we basically could have held our breath through it. We'd have held our breath, said, okay, we're done and moving on. The fact that it's lasted so long, you had to have done something. And, I, and I've told her, I think that it will probably end at some point, um, hopefully this year sometime, because if you haven't learned anything from it now, you're probably not going to. Uh, it's just, you know, we've had long enough to figure this out, uh, long enough to make any changes to our lives. And so, so I think everyone that's listening to this has probably had a taste of that, a taste of at least the global adversity we've experienced and, and some specific adversity in their lives as well. One of the things as we often, I, I don't know, we, we get this wrong, and I don't know where it's taught because it's not taught in the scriptures, but we seem to believe it. We seem to think if I'm just righteous enough, then I will avoid suffering. And if I just do it right, you know, um, you can't avoid adversity. Yeah, and, and if you look in the scriptures, the, what happens to the righteous? They have adversity, you know, and they have it more. They have it more than the rest of us. It seems mm-hmm. like that you can't find a single example of someone in scripture who is really striving to stay on the covenant path who has not had something come up unexpected that has kind of thrown them for a loop. It, so I think that's something that we need to understand, um, because what happens is when we get adversity. We, we all of a sudden, we, we view it as this negative thing. And we say, well, I shouldn't be experiencing this because whatever, I'm strong or I'm righteous or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so then we view it as a negative. We just try to push it out of the way. We, we try to say, okay, let's just get this out of my life. And I think if we understand that adversity is the Lord's way of helping us grow, then we can embrace it. It's like having a personal trainer show up with a, a list of exercises to you do, and you say, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. You know, that looks really hard. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe if I do these things, I will go through difficulty, and there'll be pain and distress associated with it, but I'll be stronger. So, so learning to see adversity as a positive thing, I think automatically makes it um, simpler to deal with, um, because then it's not Absolutely. this negative thing in your life, it's a positive. Absolutely. I 
totally had the same experience and you want to have reasons for why things are happening. What did I do to deserve this? What can I do differently in the future so these bad things don't happen to me? But if you just shift the attitude and realize like, this isn't happening to me, it's happening for me and I can learn and I can grow. Uh, but it is this attitude shift. I don't know how we can uh, teach that. Uh, maybe you could help us here just to kind of change that thought processing. Yeah, it really is. It, it is something that we have to kind of embrace. And I don't really know any way to do it except um, to just, I guess, at the individual level to understand that, that regardless of what you do, you're going to come against hard times. I, th I think there's this other um, there's this other belief that that the blessed life is the one that doesn't have adversity. Not not so, which is different than I did something wrong and I gained adversity. It's like the the, the best way to make it through life is just to have no trouble at all, mm -hmm. um, and that's absurd. That, that's that, not that's, why we're here at all. No, it's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. You know, it's like the best way to go to the gym is just to sit quietly in the corner. But there's no progression. No, there's no progression. And we came to life for a specific purpose. We've yeah. forgotten that purpose sometimes. So we need to kind of rekindle that idea, understand the purpose of life. Um, uh, some years ago, I don't know if I told this before, I used to teach indoor cycling um, at the gym, like spin class. I was a spin teacher for a little while. And, um, and so I'd get these people come to class and I could tell if they weren't working hard. You can tell if they're on the lead bike and you can see if they're not trying really hard. And I would say, look, you guys came to class, you got up off your couch, you put on workout clothes, you drove to the gym, you walked in here, you got on the bike, you stayed after the opening music. I said, why not work hard? Why not work hard since you're here? Turn that little red knob to the right and let's go. Uh, I said, no, you don't have to. That's up to you but you've already come. And I feel like it's that way with life too. Heavenly Father's like, you're already there. You already came. You're there in the thick of it. Why not work hard? Why not uh, embrace the adversity that comes your way? And, and like Tony, like you said, um, this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. And I think just the very change of that word, it, it completely changed the mindset. It sounds like it did for you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I just talked about this in a previous episode, but people would always say, lean into it, lean into the discomfort. And I didn't really get what that meant until all of these hard things kept happening. And instead of resisting it, like, no, I don't want hard things. It's just like, well, and I talked about it being like a bike. You just, instead of staying on the lowest gear and, and just yeah. swirling and swirling and swirling, just turn up the gear and put some resistance, you know, push against it. And all of a sudden you're moving with it. And I just think that's so, so very important to start seeing it differently. What do you think we can do to prepare ourselves for adversity, especially if it's an adversity that you didn't see coming? What can we do to help build this resistance? I think um, one of the things, and this is to quote President Nelson, he was asked some years ago before he was uh, the president of the church in a, a general leadership meeting, with the 70s, um, they were talking about kind of the plague of pornography. And they said, what can we do to help people better manage this? And, um, and I, I've dealt with this in my, uh, in my professional career. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of people who've had uh, sexual behavior problems. And, and so I was very curious, I thought, because I've read all kinds of books and there's just volumes of stuff on how you can help people with pornography. He said, 
seven words. He said, teach them their identity and purpose. Uh, that's a, I think that's six, word, six words. And, and that was so brilliant to me. I thought that is it right there. This idea of getting a better understanding of who we are and why we're here automatically helps us um, deal with adversity uh, more effectively. When you talk about who we are, well, we're, we're children of God. We're, we're him in embryo. And, and if we understand the reason that we are, that we're here, that we're trying to become like him, our purpose, then that makes a big difference as well. Um, I think the other thing is when it comes to purpose, identity is one of those things that I think we generally understand. I mean, most people would say, yeah, I'm a child of God. I get that. Uh, if I said, Erica, what's your purpose? You might be like, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have a great idea. Right. Maybe, have, maybe, maybe you have something great to say about that. Uh, maybe you don't. I think more people would have difficulty coming up with the answer, what's your purpose? It's something that we feel like we have to continually discover in our lives. That's a very difficult thing to define for many people. And I think it's a big reason why people feel so lost and unfulfilled sometimes because they don't feel that they specifically have a purpose. They might feel like everybody else has purpose, but they don't necessarily understand their personal purpose. Exactly. They, they, they kind of have this generic purpose. You know, they say, oh, well, to return to God, to become like him. There's nothing wrong with those purposes, but those don't have a lot of powerful effect individually until you really understand why are you here personally. And every single one of us is here for a very, very specific reason. We are all here to, to, to have some effect on someone else. And the more we understand that, then it's like, um, then we don't have time to mess around as much because we know what we need to do. I remember when I was um, finishing graduate school and I would, um, I've been like a world-class procrastinator, master class on procrastinator. I'll do mm -hmm. another podcast on that, right? On, on how to procrastinate. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm better at it now, but I was, better at it, meaning I'm, I don't procrastinate as much. <laughs> I was an excellent procrastinator back in the day. And so I would spend most of the semester, I'd go to class and everything and, and learn. But then all these um, things would start to stack up. And in graduate school, you didn't have a lot of testing throughout the semester. A lot of it was just kind of these culminating projects at the end of the semester, which would take a lot of time to get done. And so I remember as the end of the semester would approach, I would think, okay, I'd make like this mental calendar of all the things that had to be done in the next seven weeks. And I was so efficient in those seven weeks and so productive. I got so many things done. I would just go, go, go. I was more productive in like a week of that time than I was in the seven weeks prior to it. Because I think because I had a goal and I knew what I was, I knew what I was supposed to do. And there wasn't anything that was going to dissuade me from that. Whereas before, I was like, eh, I'll get around to that later. Maybe, you know, there's a new video game out or something like that. And I would get distracted with any number of things. Um, so when we are able to identify our purpose, then I think that really helps us. And then we can start to see, um, you know, when adversity strikes, then you could say, well, wait, how does this relate to my purpose? And is this maybe something that's going to help me bless the life of someone else down the road? Um, uh, and, and that's, that's super critical. I think all the things that we go through give us empathy and help us understand um, who we can help us understand so that the next time we run into someone who's had that experience, it's not just, oh, I've heard about that. That sounds really rough. It's, 
I have mm-hmm. been through that. And let, and let me tell you my experiences and what helped me. And that's been really, really healing for me when people come to me with advice, support, because now that my life's been a little more exposed in that area, um, it's so interesting. They're like, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I said, I, I can't explain, but it, it has actually created some sort of healing inside of me when I'm able to like reach my hand out and help somebody else. It's a really powerful tool to heal. I think one of the things that we're going to be very surprised about when we get back to heaven and have our exit interview or whatever it is. And I think when we sit down with him afterwards and he shows us all the things that happened and the things that we thought that were completely random or the things that we thought were just the wheels coming off, we're going to go, you got to be kidding me. That was exactly what was supposed to happen in order for this thing to be put in place. And I think we're just going to be very, very grateful. Um, Mm -hmm. Even those things that we perceived as tragedies, uh, we'll see how they were crafted by our father in heaven. Um, and and I I don't know I I'm if I'm the only person that believes that but because I think that just about everything that's going on is heavily influenced by him because we think well but no bad things couldn't be influenced by him I don't know I, I think I think our definition of bad is a little bit um, skewed and and what we think is bad may actually be a blessing from an eternal perspective anyway I love that idea of just seeing things just from a different perspective and that maybe this is part of the plan. But if we're doing our best, you know, if we're we're trying every day and doing what we believe is right, and then things still go sideways, I think those are the types of things that um, we'll we'll be surprised to find out just how beneficial they were and how they were never bad in the first place. Yeah, I think so much of that is just sometimes it's natural consequences and sometimes it's part of being immortal. Being in this life means that things are not going to go according to plan. And I just keep thinking of, you know, why we resist this adversity. And so much of it is because of the fear and knowledge of pain. Like true heartache is so painful and not wanting to feel those feelings is so natural and so normal to not want that. But it's something that as we experience those things we get to become a wounded healer for someone else we get to have the ability to help others along the way grow ourselves become more resilient because we have survived through something that was so painful and so I think that that's just something to remember is that it's just really a part of life and that is difficult though it's very scary to see adversity coming your way and be so fearful of that pain (laughs) Yeah, we say that you say like things not going according to plan. And I think the only correction I would make to that is things not going according to our plan. Right. <laughs> right. Because, because we think, we think, okay, this is the way things are supposed to go. I did this, I did this, I did this. And then these are going to be the results. And man, if you've lived longer than like 15 years, you realize when does it ever work out that way? There's just so many variables that are out there that, that are, that, you know, can create so much havoc in our lives. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we try to have faith in heavenly father's plan for us and why we, tr- we try to understand our divine purpose. That's kind of cluing, uh, cueing in with him and saying, Hey, what, how do you want this to go? In the new Testament, the savior talks about how he says, I never do anything, but what the father tells me, you know, every single thing he did was just completely as he was commanded by his father in heaven. 
he had an amazing life, lived perfectly as a result, and then suffered the greatest. I mean, if you need a, a good case study of, you know, that, that good behavior doesn't necessarily prevent suffering, just look at the Savior, right. for heaven's sakes. It was a necessary thing. One of the things that I think that's important to remember as well, and like you're saying, Erica, we, we try to avoid this pain that comes our way. It's important to feel it. And, and it's okay for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the Savior has felt that on our behalf. There's, there's three parts to his atonement. There's the two that we talk about pretty regularly. We talk about, you know, redemption from death, the resurrection, and we talk about the um, potential redemption from sin, the repentance. But we don't talk about the enabling power of the Savior's atonement, and that's where he experienced the pain of depression. He experienced the pain of anxiety. He experienced the pain of divorce and losing a child and, and everything else, and none of those things are necessarily sinful. So it's not, you don't have to repent from being divorced. You don't have to repent from, you know, losing a child or something like that. But yet he still suffered those pains on our behalf. So that way, when we go through it, he can say, I know exactly how you're feeling and I can help you through that. And that's kind of what Tani was talking about earlier, just this idea of we, we go through those things um, so that we can help others. And, and I think that makes us just kind of very many lowercase saviors, lowercase s saviors, um, you know, like him uh, in a small way where we're kind of doing what he does to bless other people. So that's a beautiful idea. And to your other point, Erica, you talk about we want to avoid the pain, but we can't avoid the pain. We have to get um, kind of inoculated against it. And the only way you get strengthened against it is by going through it. That, that, that's exactly how a vaccination works, is they put a little bit of something in your body that your body has to fight off. It learns to fight it off. And, and then, therefore, it's stronger when that same thing comes to attack it again. So if you're trying to manage anxiety, you have to do something that makes you anxious and learn how to fight it off. It's exactly how muscles develop. You have to do something that hurts the muscle, literally breaks it down, and then when it rebuilds, it rebuilds itself stronger. And then it can handle you know, the same amount of, um, of stress next time, either more effectively or it can go longer or something like that. So, And oftentimes we just try to avoid it at all costs. Uh, we do this with our children so much, and it's the worst possible thing. People talk about helicopter parenting, you know, where they, they're there right there hovering over their kids and, and making sure everything's okay. I like to talk about bulldozer parenting, where they say, all right, which way are you going? All right, let me go first. And they just mow through everything, make this nice, flat road, take out every obstacle, every hill, every bit of broken glass, and just make this nice little sloping road so their children can have this very, very peaceful walk to where they're going. That's great, um, you know, and, and, a, and a nice, pleasant journey for your child. And unless you plan on doing that until they die, it, it's no good. Because at some point, they're going to hit real life, which has slopes and valleys and broken things and chasms and stuff like that. And if you've simply, you know, removed every obstacle from their way, then they're not going to grow. So if any parents that are listening out there, please stop doing that. I know for your own peace of mind, you'd love your children to never go through any sort of trial or adversity. But, but if you take it away from them, you are inadequately preparing them for what's coming their way eventually. So, you know, maybe a little bit of bulldozing every once in a while is okay, but, you know, don't clear it every day, all day long. Um, let them sweat a little bit. Yeah. I absolutely agree. That's something I'm completely passionate about. 
I think people watch me parent and are like, are you going to stop that? And I'm like, no, they need to learn how to resolve and have resol- you know, uh, resolve differences without me barging in all the time. There is times when you do have to step in and teach. But yeah. for the most part, I just like to let them co- govern themselves. Yes. <laughs> Let's see what they, what they can handle. And as parents, we need to be judicious about that. You don't just throw them to the wolves and say, let's see how they do. Yeah. Um, but you, but you, you can decide how much adversity is good and run just enough interference. I keep using physical exercise things, but if you've ever lifted weights and you have a spotter, you know, the job of the spotter is to not completely lift the weight for you, but to lift just enough so that you can do it because you get to the point where you can't quite lift it. You're on your seventh, seventh of eighth rep, right? And, and, and you're shaking, your arms are shaking and you can't quite do it. And your spotter just puts her fingers right there on the bar, just a little bit, you know, just a little bit so that you still use all your strength. And then she uses just a little bit of hers to get it to, you know, to help you lift it. Love I, think it. That, I think that's exactly what, what we need to do as parents is not grab the bar and, Oh my gosh, you're sweating, you know, let them do it. Let them get stronger. Yeah. I love that. So what are a few other tools we can use to make sure that we, we have that emotional strength, some other practical things that we can do to develop that? Sure. So one of the things that another thing you can do is just is really to develop this idea of, um, of trying over and over again uh, or being tenacious we don't like um, failure. It's just, uh, maybe some people do. I don't like it. So I'm just speaking for myself. <laughs> um, never liked it very much. Uh, I'm kind of getting into the wrong profession for that because, you know, there's always someone who's going to be critical, of what you have to say or something like, or something I write. I'm learning to get better at that. Uh, but then you have to keep going. I'll just tell a quick, uh, a quick story about that. So I've written my fifth book and it is, and it got accepted by Covenant um, Publishers to be published in January, 2022. So uh, super excited about that. And I worked hard on this and reviewed it and edited and had some friends review it and edit and all those things. And I thought it was pretty dang good. So I send it in and they accepted it feeling great. And then a few weeks later, I get the reviews from the, um, the editors there. And there's like all these things they want me to change. And that's how it usually goes. And they're like, well, this part's too long and this. And, and my first reaction was like, well, that's it. I'm never writing another book again. This is horrible. You know, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. But then, of course, I, <laughs> I waited and I thought, okay, wait a minute. And then I think about it. I'm like, no, no, that, that's right. And, and those mm-hmm. are some good ideas. Um, and I certainly could improve it that way. But we need to bounce back after difficulties and, and learn just the value of trying again and again and again. In the book I write about um, Thomas Edison, a friend of his had walked into his laboratory and there, was, and there was just this giant, giant mess of all these experiments. And it was when he was trying to perfect the light bulb to, you know, to get something that would carry a charge and glow and, and not just you know, burn out really quickly. And so he had tried like a thousand, like literally a thousand different things. And, and the guy said, isn't it disappointing to know, discouraging? No, you failed a thousand times. He says, he says, failed. He says, I haven't failed. I've just figured out a thousand things that don't work. <laughs> and he just kept going and going and going until he finally figured out that tungsten was the thing, was the ticket. And that, and, and that the light bulb was based on that for over a hundred years. I, I just love that attitude of we can't just take failure and stop. 
and yeah. say, okay, I, I, there's, I can't do any more. I'm stuck or, or someone judged me as a failure. That's going to happen all the time. There's all sorts of opinions out there. Only two opinions matter, yours and your father in heaven. And those are literally the only two opinions that matter. Anyone else, I, I don't care who, even, I mean, our spouses are wonderful, but really their opinions are less consequential than the one you have about yourself and, and the one your heavenly father has for you. And, and I think if you can get right by those two, then everything else kind of falls into place. Which speaking about that, just to segue into uh, the last thing about kind of how to develop, one of the things to develop emotional resilience is to having uh, good supportive relationships. Uh, we really, really need that. I refer to a number of studies in the, in the book, and they're all like from the 1950s and 60s, the psychological studies, and they're terrible. They're like so, <laughs> eth- so like ethically wrong. <laughs> and, we, and we look at them, we're like, oh my gosh, we would never, it would, you could never do anything like it today. There's all these ethics boards. But the problem is they gave us such fascinating information. Anyway, in this one particular, they had these baby monkeys, these rhesus monkeys that they were raising, and they would separate them from their mothers at birth. And they were trying to figure out um, if they would still like bond. And so what Mm. they did is they created these two like artificial monkeys, like these monkey mothers. They they were warm um, and they had a, a nipple that they could feed off of. And so um, one of them they covered with terry cloth, so it was soft, and, uh, and had a warming thing in it. And the other one was just a wire frame, and, and it still had the, the nurturing in it. You know, you could still feed, and they would just see what was going to happen with these monkeys. Well, what they found was these monkeys spent so much more time with the terry cloth mothers than they did with the wire mothers. So sometimes only the, the wire monkey would feed, and the terry cloth monkey wouldn't feed, like the, the, the bottle was dry. And so they would go over to the wire monkey to eat and they would immediately go back to the terry cloth mother just to lay there. Oh, and so they would like, snu- they'd snuggle up against this thing that gave them no comfort, you know, I mean, no, no physical nutrition, you know, no, no nothing. interaction. Yeah, nothing. exactly. No interaction, but, but, and they'd go back to eat and then come back and snuggle up with the, um, with the wow. terry cloth one. And so what they discovered was that their original point, and like I said, this is back in the fifties, they said, Parents, I mean, all they really are there for is to give money and protection and stuff like that. And love was just kind of this amorphous thing that, that didn't really, you know, really need to be loved. You know, you can raise perfect children by not loving them. You just have to, you know, it's Captain Von Trapp sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, marching around with whistles and things. But they discovered that there was this X factor and it was love. Um, and they discovered the importance of relationships. And now, of course, 60 or 70 years later, we totally get that and understand that that relationship that you have with your children or with your spouse or with a good friend or with your parents or your siblings or whatever it is, is so critical in good emotional development. Because when you go through something difficult, one of the first things that you want to do is to be able to talk to someone about it, to lean on them. That's why Mm -hmm. people like me exist in psychology professions, right? Is you can actually go pay someone to, you know, listen to you and to talk to you about things and get a degree of comfort from that. So developing those relationships both with mortals and with your Heavenly Father is super critical in that. So if you think you're going to make it through life by really not having any close connections or, or, or not having a real you know, significant bond with your Heavenly Father, you'll make it. You probably won't thrive and you won't be particularly happy. So, so that's just something else to, to consider. And it's vital. I absolutely agree. And I'm thankful that there's professionals 
like you, and I hope everyone feels like they have access to wonderful professionals. But so often we think that everyone else has someone and we don't, and we don't have options and we're just so lonely and isolated. But in reality, if you just even close your eyes and picture one face of someone that you talked to in the last week, I guarantee you that they would want to be there for you. We just have to be brave enough to reach out and say, hey, I need, I need someone to talk to. I need a little support. Because honestly, like I said before, I feel honored when anyone wants my support, my love, my advice. So yeah, we've got people. You do, I promise you. Just kind of look outside and even pray about it. And I promise you, you have that support more than you think you do. Sometimes it's a stranger. I feel like sometimes the people who are, they may know you from the outside, let me be an acquaintance, but sometimes even just somebody who is just sitting next to you and, you know, on a bench, they sometimes are the person who is meant to be there. So if you feel like you can make that connection, even with somebody who you don't know, that, yeah. that person might be there for that very purpose. There was uh, this last Sunday, um, a woman gave a talk and it was, it was, it was so great. Uh, they're somewhat newly married. They have a little girl who's almost two and she's just like super energy all the time, you know, and super friendly, goes to anyone, but won't just sit there and play quietly. And so they were at some event, um, all three of them, and her husband had to go home early. So he flies home early. And she, she's scheduled to go home the next day. So here she is at the airport and she has this great master plan. Talk about things not going to plan, right? The plane was going to take off just after the baby would get up from her nap. So she's going to walk her around in the airport, get her to go to sleep. They have this nice long nap at the airport and then they get on the plane. Well, what happens? She won't sleep in the airport. <laughs> and so, so, so now she gets on the plane, hasn't had a nap, you know, screaming and everything, just completely wired they end up seeting this woman next to her, you know, she introduces herself and, and uh, says to her daughter, oh, how are you? And the daughter just looks at her and, and wants to go to her. So she goes right, so she goes right to this lady and she sits on the lady's lap and like in, in like two minutes, she falls asleep. Wow. And so she falls asleep on this lady's chest and sleeps the entire flight. And, uh, and so as my friend is talking with her new friend, she finds out this woman, um, was single and has never been able to have children and and it was just a real blessing that she loves she loves children and, and has always wanted to be a mom and so and I thought isn't that such a great blessing that the very thing you needed to be a blessing to you the opposite thing was needed to be a blessing to someone else you know you needed mm -hmm. that baby out of your lap for two hours and she needed that baby in her lap for two hours and, and both of those things were the blessing it was like you're saying Tani we shouldn't be afraid to reach out and ask for help Chances are someone in your circle of influence has been through something similar to you and they will know what it's like and they'll be able to help you or you'll find someone who's going through something that you can and you can help them. So I really don't think any experience is wasted, even the so-called traumatic experiences, because they will help us later as long as we get through it and strive to be better as a result, learn what we can through it. Like you said, this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. Um, grow as a result and then be ready on that path for that person that's coming up behind you traveling that exact same road and say here let me help you over that uh, rough spot yeah. that was kind of that was kind of rough for me and I'm glad someone was there to to help me through it as well so needed to remember that sometimes we're going through these things and we can we can try harder and 
be more purposeful as we go through those things for the purpose of helping somebody else and feeling like we could be able to serve in that capacity for somebody else. David, thank you so much for your wisdom. Once again, we have just thoroughly enjoyed hearing your wonderful stories and your helpful practical tools and so many beautiful spiritual tools. So thank you so much for today. Thank you so much. The, the two of you are just, you're amazing for doing this. Um, you guys don't know this. No one, no one gets paid to do this. Eric and Tony put in a lot of work behind the scenes to make these things happen and to get these podcasts ready for you so that they sound all nice and sanitized and, and uh, you know, cut out all of our ums and, you know, those, <laughs> those sort of things. Um, and they do it for you. So if you're, if you're a regular listener, even if you're not a regular listener, reach out to them, tell them thanks for the blessing that they are into your lives. And thanks for inviting me to do this. I know that the things that I've gone through, I'm sure someone is going to benefit by hearing this and I benefited by saying it. And if it was only just the three of us, that's great. But someone's going to, mm-hmm. someone's life is going to get better because of what we did today. And that is worth it right there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David. If our listeners just need more of you, tell us where we can reach out and find you. So everything that you need to know is on my website, which is www.ldspsychologist.com. has links to my books, podcasts, uh, podcasts I've been on, podcasts I've done. I have done a number of um, video presentations for Onward Productions. I have a weekly uh, video thing I do called Mental Health Mondays. Uh, I love just, it. Just, just recorded number 34. So if you've got a lot of time on your hands and want to learn more than you ever wanted to about mental health, uh, you could watch a few hours of Mental Health Mondays. So all of that is, is on LDSpsychologist.com. So that's the place to go. Excellent. And your book that is about this topic is coming out in January of 2022. So, and that's going to be called Enduring It Well developing gospel focused emotional resilience and we will make sure to share that as that gets closer here in in the winter so thank you once again that'll be awesome we'll do some we'll i'll get in contact with desert book and we'll do some book signings in your local area so you can get all your friends get all your friends to come and uh, oh we will come out you better believe that <laughs> that would be that's so awesome great. well thanks again we really appreciate it have a great day everyone Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Promptly Journals has amazing journaling options for teens and teen parents. From journals directed to teens, gratitude journals, and parent-child connection journals, you're bound to find a journal that is going to be perfect for your teen. I just bought a few of my own journals, and not only are they beautifully made, but I loved the prompts so much, we knew we needed to share them with you. To view available journal options, click on the link in our bio and use the code BECOMING to get 10% off.